The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Big shout out to New Day, N E U D A E. We appreciate the song Lion Kings that we're using again as our intro this season. James, we looked at 98 prospects in the NL East last week. Well, you did, rather, um, in your Farm Futures article. This week, 114 prospects in the NL Central. That one guy last year who was mad that we. You know, passed over the Reds on that one episode. Well, guess what? We're going to be talking a lot of Reds on the show today. But first, you had a really good idea the other day about something we could do this season, kind of as our, you know, wind down sort of thing at the end of every show. Collaborations in hip-hop. I like the idea. Yeah, so obviously it's not going to be for everybody, but if you liked our counting down the top 10 hip-hop albums of all time last year or you liked us grading rappers was that two years ago uh then you'll probably like this one too i think we're gonna do our top 20 uh hip-hop tracks of all time that are that would fall under the the category of collaborations like i i don't really yeah we haven't really mapped out exactly what's gonna qualify as such but yeah i mean any any type of track with you know multiple artists getting getting a verse i think would would probably qualify so that'll be that'll be a fun way to end episodes i think we'll probably be kicking that off once the season starts yeah i've already got an honorable mention i know i can't find room for it in my top 20 but special delivery um ghostface and like bad boy yeah 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 yeah. it's a good one that's a that's a a definite honorable mention yeah that's an honorable mention can't can't possibly find room for that even though i haven't even (laughs) haven't even plotted out Begun to plot out my top twenty, but I just know that you know it when you see it, and in this case, you you know it when you don't see it. Yeah, it's going to be on the outside looking in, that's for sure. But (laughs) let's get into this uh, this article of yours, James. Great stuff. We'll start with the Cubs, as you do in the article. Rotowire dot com slash free. 
you don't have a subscription to check it out. Free 10 days. This cub system really depleted with so many guys graduating and the trades they've made, trying to compete for championships. Only have one prospect ranked inside your top 200. Uh, that's Jose Albertos. What is the upside with this uh, young right-handed pitcher? Yeah, he's... I mean, if you look at all the lists out there on the Cubs system, I feel like there's a different guy atop every list, whether it's Aramis Aidman, the middle infielder, Edbert Alzale, who's a righty who's semi-close to the big leagues, doesn't have a ton of upside in my opinion. Uh, But for me, Albertos is the one that I could kind of realistically see emerging as a, a mixed league option down the road i mean he's his upside's probably number three starter but you could you could maybe dream on a little bit more than that if if the command really comes along but he's already you know he's already kind of stiff and thick for a 19 year old so it's it's tough for me to really get too excited about the upside and it's kind of a testament to how bad this system is that he's he's atop the the list yeah, we saw Alzale in Arizona, and there just wasn't much to write home about. Nothing really caught my eye with him. Skipping down the list a little bit, Victor Caratini, not a guy I'm expecting much from, but do you think he's maybe a guy like in NFBC draft champions, draft and hold, maybe as your fourth or fifth catcher is a reasonable option? Yeah, I think he's perfect for a format like that if you are just looking for a catcher that you know is probably going to be I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say he's going to be on the big league roster all season. He's probably going to be starting once or twice a week. And I just, I have a hard time picturing him hitting worse than like 250. So it's pretty nice for a catcher. Yeah, that's, that's really the selling point is that you can plug him in. He's not going to destroy your batting average. You're probably not going to get a ton in the way of counting stats, but yeah, at that position, just having kind of a placeholder in case one of your, your top two guys gets hurt is, is fine. Yeah, I mean, especially if you have Wilson Contreras, but even if not, I mean, just there's always a chance a guy like that could get hurt, and then Caratini has quite a bit of value. But uh, jumping down a little bit ways further, Mark Zagunis was a guy that I know has been hanging around on the list for a while, but uh, it's fallen off your top 400. Why is that? You know, he's it's kind of the same skill set as it's always been. It's just that... You know, I sort of hope that he would have been traded by now or that, you know, the Cubs have just kind of their outfielders have kind of piled up and it's just really hard now that he's basically big league ready. It's just so hard to envision how he's going to get at bats on this team. He might even break camp on the big league roster and it's just still hard to see him getting enough playing time to matter. I would, you know, if he'd been traded to a different organization, he's probably a top 400 guy for me, but until then I just I don't see an avenue to at bats and you know there might just not be a a big market out there for him understandably because he's a corner only guy who doesn't have plus power I mean his big selling point is the the on-base skills he's always been a guy that walks a ton you know OBP is up around 400 at, at certain stops so he's kind of a Jesse Winker type of player in that way but they just there's there's no room for a guy like that in Chicago and and on a lot of teams honestly. Yeah, 25 years old. I think the the window's shutting for Zagunas. Ugh, this this system is disgusting, man. It looks like my SKL two farm a little bit. Uh, just nothing there. But anybody else you want to talk <laughs> about before we move on? No, let's move on, please. Yeah, let's move on to the. <laughs> Well, we all came here to, to talk about yeah. the Reds. This is the Reds pod yeah, of the baby. <laughs> you were talking the other day about you know, where's the worst place for a free agent to end up. As a Dayton area guy, it is tough to say, but probably Cincinnati. Yeah, but, like we were, we were trying to figure out if you got traded somewhere, like where would it? Yeah. Where would you be the most upset if you got traded? And and that, look, I mean, look, they got Skyline. <laughs> When, right. when the selling point is kind of a is a chili, a low level chili. <laughs> it's like a, a fast food type of chili. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I realize that it's not a a must go destination or anything like that, but I am excited about this young core of talent. I do feel like they should should be further along in the rebuild. You know, you 
you Brewers fans started and ended your rebuild, you know, after the Reds started theirs. But I do think what they've done in the draft in recent years is encouraging. You guys like Nick Senzel and Trammell and Hunter Green. Let's start at the top with with Nick Senzel. Love the bat a lot. And he's going to be a corner guy. I think the power will play up more in the majors with the new ball, but is this like a, a true superstar type of player? He would really have to max out, I think, to ever be like it. I, I think there is a chance that he is someday a first round pick in fantasy, but he would have to really kind of hit his ceiling, I think, to get there. Uh, you know, and the, a big part of that would just be the hit tool. Like if he. I think he's a guy that's capable of hitting 315, 320 over a full season in the majors in his peak. And if he does that, then he's probably a first round pick because there's going to be 20 plus homers there. Maybe he may never hit 30 in a season. I mean, that we're not talking about a guy with, with crazy raw power, but I think in that park, uh, current run environment, I think, you know, 20, 20 to 25 homers is doable. And then he could also be a guy that chips in, 10 to 20 stolen bases. I mean, that, that, that's the type of thing that kind of fluctuates with guys that aren't, aren't pure burners from year to year, but I think there will be some years where he's closer to 20 than he is to 10. So if you couple that with a high batting average and, you know, I think he's going to be batting pretty regularly second or third in the order for them. So that, that's, that's a recipe for, for a ton of counting sets. So, you know, I think the the floor is kind of more the selling point with Senzel than the ceiling. I think he's a guy that's a really, really good bet to be a top 100 fantasy option for, you know, the next seven or eight years. But, uh, yeah, a good, good guy to kind of build your, your rebuild behind. I know we've been preaching, you know, just considering what makes good business sense when thinking about call-ups. In the Reds' case, you know, they have Eugenio Suarez at, at third, It'd probably be in their best interest, you know, if they could, to hold a guy down like this down until 2019. But realistically, Nick Senzel's going to force their hand. When do you see that happening? Well, why don't you kind of give us the the recipe for him? Like, who who has to move to shortstop? Like, because that that's kind of the thing. It's not going to yeah, be an true. issue where we get to June and Senzel's hey, hitting. Phil like... Goslin back up short. <laughs> I mean, because it's. You know, Suarez is a really good hitter. Uh, yep. You know, Scooter Jeanette, I, I think there's going to be some pretty big regression there, but maybe not. I don't I don't know. I mean, there's, to me, Jose Peraza is sort of a utility infielder. But when, you know, who moves to short? I, I assume Peraza is the odd man out. Maybe, maybe Jeanette just comes crashing back to earth, and then you move Suarez over to second. I mean, wh- how do you see it playing out? Yeah, that could happen. What I'm thinking is... Like there'll be something maybe May, June that opens up a spot, you'd think, and you're the Reds wait a little bit. And then it's like it gets to the point in July where it's you know, they really can't keep this guy down anymore. He's killing it at triple A. Uh there's multiple needs. I don't know where you know, I think there's gonna be need to be more than one opening or like more than one need because I feel like they'll put a stopgap, put a band aid with with one of these scrubby guys before they call up Senzel, but I think when injuries really deplete the team, we'll see him in July. Yeah, I think July is probably the safest bet. I think there's a chance that he just is tearing the cover off the ball at AAA in like mm. May, and you know people start. If he wasn't already yep. drafted in single season leagues, people start the stash game yep. with him in May. But you're right. I mean, it might not pay off until July. So yeah, they might get impatient and drop him. I could see that happen a lot with Senzel. I mean, I think yeah, he's going to be the type of guy that gets drafted and then dropped and then picked up and then dropped and then it's going to be kind of a musical chair situation with which owner owns him when he actually does get the call. Yeah, maybe I'll have to go back to back. You know, after doing that with Bellinger last year, picking him up, <laughs> dropping him, and he gets called up and just and wins of the league for a certain someone. Um, Taylor Trammell, number two. I'm really excited about Trammell. 20 years old seems like a good kid too from what i've seen and the power speed combo really encouraging perhaps most encouraging is just his feel for the game of baseball being a a pretty raw guy two-sport athlete didn't focus on baseball but the handle in the strike zone is is really promising yeah he's extremely exciting uh i think i have him ranked 20th overall in the top 400 
I wouldn't fight you if you wanted to put him as high as you know twelve or eleven. Honestly, I mean he's he's a special special talent plus plus speed. And whenever there's a guy like this with with pedigree and you know game changing speed, who also has the potential to hit for a pretty high average and hit for some power and provide value defensively. I mean, that's that's a package I think we can all get behind in today's game where speed is just increasingly tough to find, especially in a player who's going to be an everyday guy and is going to help you across the board elsewhere. I mean, this is this is a special talent. I, he's going to be tough to pry loose in Dynasty Leagues. A lot of lists I've seen have Hunter Green over Jesse Winker. You have it the other way around, and I get it from fantasy standpoint. And the, the reasons to be a little skeptical of Green are pretty obvious, but you, could, could you kind of lay those out uh, with a guy like that and the risk that comes with drafting him? Yeah, he's just so far away, and it's not a, well, he's going to open a rookie ball, so he's far away. It's just developmentally he's far away too. I mean, he's got a really special fastball. He projects to have really, really good command for a guy that throws that hard and a guy that's that big. He's a, he's a, some guy, some scouts say he's the best uh, athlete they've ever seen in a, in a prep righty. So, I mean, there's a lot to love, but the secondaries are, you know, they're going to take a while to develop to the point that he profiles in a rotation. It's just, I think it's going to be a, a pretty slow burn for him to get to the big leagues. I think the payoffs got the potential to be really huge. It's just, you know, a guy like Mackenzie Gore with the Padres, I could see moving quicker because he's kind of, I mean, he's kind of a finished product in, in the sense that as long as he stays healthy, you know, you could see him pitching in a big league rotation in a couple of years. Whereas, the secondaries are right, a lot more advanced. Right. And, and with green, you're just, it's a, it's a massive lottery ticket, but you have to be careful with it. You have to uh, bring it along at, at the right pace. And even then, you know, nothing's guaranteed. Like, he, he's not guaranteed to, when he gets to the big leagues, be a number one starter. I mean, he might might only end up being a number two or a number three. So I, there's just so much risk with pitching prospects and this pitching prospect in particular. And, you know, with guys that touch triple digits. And, and I mean, he was living at, at 100 in his his brief uh taste of pro ball last year i mean guys that throw that hard often end up needing surgery at some point so there's just the all the risk factors are just there with him winker big league ready you know if he if he comes out in in april and may is showing just a you know some of the power that he showed towards the end of last year i think this is going to look like an under rank on winker i mean he's a guy that i think you could argue belongs in the top 30 if you belong if you believe in the him just being like a 20 homer bat i think he you could argue he belongs in the top 30 i i have him in, at 47 overall just because i think there's a, a chance that the power was kind of a mirage last year and maybe he's only a 12 to 15 homer guy in which case i think that he might be <laughs> overranked at 47 i feel like he's being undervalued still in single season leagues mainly because the reds haven't been able to clear an outfielder uh, from that depth chart but i look you got to strike that idea really from your your mindset, the mm-hmm. no path to playing time, because there's always going to be a path with a guy who's talented like this. And, and if if you do the rebuild right, which, I mean, the Reds have had some slip-ups here and there, but it would, it would just be really hard for me to envision them platooning him and not giving him everyday at-bats in, in his rookie season. I mean, this is one of the few position players on your team that is is definitely a building block for you is going to be there theoretically for the next on the next good Reds team and he's he's a good enough hitter where sitting him against lefties early in his career would just be I, I think a, a huge mistake so of all their outfielders I'm, I'm the most confident in Winkers at bats in 2018. Number five in the system shed long I saw you recently traded him or maybe just this morning last night uh, as part of a deal to acquire Luis Urias and staff keeper two, is that a reflection of maybe you souring a little bit on Shedlong, or is it just uh, upgrading at second base for you on the uh, farm system? No, he was just a, a throw-in in that deal. I, I I had too many prospects. We only have 10 prospect spots in that league, and I just kind of threw him in the deal 
try to coax a yes out of the other owner. It, I was going to end up throwing him back just because I didn't have enough spots for him. I, my opinion of Shed has pretty much stayed the same. You got to uh, send some of those prospects my way. Jeez. Hey, I got talk, some. I got some. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shed Long's a guy that I, I got to meet and interview uh, this past summer in Pensacola. Really, really good guy. Uh, he's really smart about the way he approaches the game. He's aware of the stuff that he needs to improve on. He's aware of what, what pitchers are, how pitchers are attacking him. Uh, it's just kind of all about the batting average with him. I think that the power is there for him to be a 15 to 20 homer guy. He's got a really quick bat. Uh, he's good at, good at generating, uh, leverage and he's got enough speed to be a 15 to 20 steel guy. So that's, that's all exciting. It's just, is he going to hit enough to be a regular because, you know, we're already talking about like, how are they going to squeeze Nick Senzel into this infield? I mean, Chad Long's really going to have to force the issue in the coming years if he wants to get involved. Yeah, number six, Jose Siri. But I want to jump to number seven, Tyler Molly, um, Wes Welker's favorite player. Uh, but boom. Look, this guy. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. No, no, no. Hey. Um, so. I was slow on the update. I didn't even <laughs> no, know that that was I how I really was, wasn't even waiting for a I didn't even know that that was how his name was pronounced. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. That's how it is. Um, confirmed by baseball reference. But just outside your top 200 overall. I think he's kind of interesting for single season leagues, just given the likelihood that this guy, I mean, he could be their number two starter in terms of ability. And I, I have him for a buck in one keeper league. I'm going to probably keep him just because so much inflation and pitching will be at a premium in the auction. But realistically, what's the arsenal look like and how, you know, how straight is his path to being a viable fantasy option? Because I feel like there will be bumps in the road, but do you think it'll be more, Good than bad? It's just so hard to say with guys like this. You know, he doesn't have, uh, you know, to say he doesn't have an electric repertoire is is kind of putting it mildly. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, you, you want to bank on the command being plus plus really if you if you expect him to be more than kind of a back-end starter. And, and in the minors, he's proven that he, he's at least, good at pounding the zone he doesn't walk too many guys obviously and i think his brief what was it like 20 innings in the majors last year he walked some guys but i think you can kind of throw that out uh you know it's it's kind of zach davies-esque with maybe a bit more strikeout upside uh if you really wanted to get carried away you could say that maybe he's a kind of a Kyle Hendricks vibe to him. I mean, it, that that's the type of pitcher we're talking about. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. I mean, his, his fastballs, that might be selling him a little bit short, like comparing him to Davies and Hendricks because his fastball can can be 93, 94. Uh, but the, the secondaries just really aren't, aren't all that special. So I get why you would take him in a single season draft just because he, he's – you know, probably going to make 20 plus starts in the big leagues this year. And there's a chance that he won't suck, but, but you know, for dynasty leagues, there's just not a ton of upside there. And I'd rather roll the dice on a guy that maybe is less likely to make it as a starting pitcher. But if he does has a chance to be a number three or number two. Yeah. I do think he's reasonable, you know, like those NFBC draft champions draft and hold, but less appeal in just standard leagues with like a seven man bench, six or seven, because not in every every start type of guy. You really got to be careful with those home starts. Jeter Downs was a guy in the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational. I think it was Chris Blessing who took him, and he was... I think it was Welsh. Was it Welsh? Yeah. Okay. Thank Welsh you. is really high I apologize. Yeah, he came on the show, that's right, on the Saturday XM show and was pumping up that pick. He said he liked it a lot. You were a little skeptical. Why are you not so high on Jeter Downs? I just don't think that any of the tools are plus and... I kind of compared him to Nick Gordon in that he's very similar to Gordon in just the, the likelihood of him sticking it short where it's kind of 50 50, whether he's a shortstop or second baseman. And I don't think he's got a plus hit tool. I don't think he has plus power and I don't think he has plus speed. So if you're going to take a guy like that is four years away from the majors, it's going to have to be a pretty deep league. Tony Santillan, number nine, um, I remember him, if I'm not mistaken, being a little bit higher 
last time I saw on your list. Now 232 overall. What does the Arsenal look like with Santillan? He's probably got... You could argue he's got top five fantasy upside in this system because he's got a monster 97-mile-an-hour heater, a big breaking ball that when, when he's on, he can just really tear up uh, minor league lineups. I know he had a handful of games last year, if I'm not mistaken, where he had double-digit strikeouts. Uh, so if you see him on a day like that, it's it's pretty easy to imagine him developing into a number two starter. Uh, throwing strikes has always been the, the issue with him. Last year, he took a step forward in that direction. I mean, a, a year ago, it was sort of a consensus that he was going to be a reliever. And then this past season, he brought that to kind of a well, maybe there's like a 40% chance he could be a starter. So it's it's I'll still it's still most likely that he ends up in the bullpen. But, I mean, like like comparing him to, to Molly is, is a good comparison. I have Molly at 204. I have Santiana at 232. So, you know, when you're getting into that range of the top 400, guys are semi-interchangeable. And if you'd rather just roll the dice on getting a, a number two starter where there's like maybe a 10% chance that that happens or 5% chance that that happens, Santian's your guy. And if you just want to try to get some innings and <laughs> hope that a guy sticks in the rotation, Molly's your guy. So there's a decent drop-off after Santian, Jose Israel, Garcia, Tyler Stevenson, some names we're familiar with. Have been hanging around, haven't really hit their ceiling, so to speak. I mean, not at all. Alex Blandino, Phil Irvin, Kiri Mella. Uh, these guys have seen their stocks fall a little bit, but anybody that you're looking at here at the bottom half of this system that could make a jump over the course of the year? Uh, I mean, Jose Israel Garcia, if he, if he hits right away and full season ball, he'll, he'll shoot up some rankings. Uh, you know, we skipped over Jose Siri. I, I'm kind of, I think I'm taking a little bit of a stand ranking him as low as I am at, at 179 because you could argue he has the most raw power and the, you know, at least top two speed in the system. So typically for fantasy purposes, we'd get a bit more excited about that. I just, I don't think he's going to hit upper level pitching. I mean, he's he's going to be 22 heading to high A Daytona. And, you know, he's not the same player as Aristides Aquino was a year ago, but it, it could be kind of the same type of thing where he just gets to a certain level in the minors and hits a wall where it's just, whether it's high A pitching, double A pitching, they just, he, he doesn't have an answer for it. So that that's kind of my reasoning for having him that low. You you might see him closer to the top 100 on, on other lists, but I, I'm kind of betting against the hit tool. So let's move on to your Brewers. Interesting talks today about them reaching out to the Rays about Archer. So maybe the system will be a little bit more depleted by the next time we talk. But leading the pack, Keston Hira. Look, this is an opening. This is a position at the big league level that has not been really stabilized at all. Really poor year from Jonathan VR. They had Eric Sogard have a nice first half, but predictably fall apart is here a guy that could actually come up this year and if so what do you expect from him right away i i just don't see it i think he's you know everything has to break right and it and there's so many factors beyond just how a player plays for them to go to the big leagues in their first full pro season i mean you look at senzel last year I think he got off to a, a, a bit of a slow start at high A, but you know he he had a monster season at double A, and he didn't even get the call to triple A. And and part of that was the Reds uh, just don't think they wanted to have him move three times in a season, uh, and he'd been getting you know, a ton of media requests and was a little overwhelmed by it all. But for a guy like Hira to to reach the big leagues, I mean, he would just have to be insane this year I, I don't see it I don't even see him coming up really in the first half of 2019 might be kind of a July August of, of 2019 type of thing just because I don't I don't see any reason to rush him if you're the Brewers I think they're gonna 
be fine going into the year if, if this is what they have at second base they'll be fine with that person just hitting eighth all season or they might end up getting a guy like neil walker on a, on a team-friendly deal when the free agent market dries up so i, I don't see that being a, a huge area of need and even if even if it was an area of need i don't think hira in his big league debut necessarily solves that so he's a great prospect but don't don't get excited about him coming up in, in 2018 number two in the system 79 overall in your top 400 tristan lutz you say here that he's, you know, kind of profiles as a future classic right fielder. Log jam there right now at the big league level, but is Lutz a guy that's going to be a long-term anchor for this team? Uh, probably not. I think he's going to be trade bait at some point. And, you know, I know that they're they're really high on him relative to, you know, I'd, I'd heard, uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm not going to, say anything more than that on but but he's he's a guy that they're high on and so i i think that they would be fine if he developed into their their right fielder of the future but i just think they have they still have a lot of right fielders i mean they just got a guy that's under control for five years and they just signed another guy for five years and they you know there's there's other outfielders in the system and guys like brett phillips and keon broxton and it just it seems like he's eventually going to get dealt but this is this is a guy that could be, uh, yeah, classic right fielder, high high average, maybe not a three hundred average, but two seventy five or better, and and thirty plus homers is is the ceiling. We're talking about Cor- Corbin Burns <clears throat> off the air. I think it was last week, and I asked you, like, does this guy have any plus pitches? And I think you said no, he really doesn't. But how does Corbin Burns compensate? Well, it it depends who you ask, right? So there's. I've saw I saw one list already where he was I think in the top twenty five uh, overall and Jeez. the uh, I think it was Keith Law said he has number two starter stuff. Uh, a lot of other people, the majority of people, say that that's not the case. So you know we'll see. I've never seen him pitch live. Uh, to me, it's kind of more of a low end number three starter type of profile could be up in the second half this year he's probably going to get assigned to AAA Colorado Springs so don't panic if the numbers aren't that great but if he just like look at what Brandon Woodruff did at Colorado Springs that's kind of the best case scenario for a guy like Burns where it's just six or seven strikeouts per nine ERA around three eight four something like that I mean if, if he can do that that's that's a passing grade at Colorado Springs I'm a little surprised to see Corey Ray still, I mean, not super high, but 114 on your overall list, fourth in the system. I say that because it seems like seemed like every time we talked about him last year, uh, you're kind of dogging him. You're a little disappointed with how he's been as a professional so far. Is this a guy who's kind of holding on to this ranking by a, by a thread and could plummet with a slow start? He could plummet with a slow start. He could soar up the rankings with a hot start it's to me this is kind of his year to you know sort of put up or fall off he's 23 he's almost logged two full seasons at high a uh, or two two full seasons worth of games at high a so even though he maybe hasn't earned it he's probably gonna head to double a uh the speed is still you know he's kind of like the the Jose Siri of the Brewers system except that he's a little bit closer to the big leagues and has more believers I guess in terms of him eventually figuring it out he's got enough speed to steal 30 plus bases he's got 20 plus homer power I mean we saw him in the AFL I mean the guy the guy can burn on the bases so there's there's definitely a lot to like here from a fantasy perspective if he figures it out and the approach uh, I mean, he's going to, he's striking out a lot, but he's also getting on base via the walk. So, uh, probably not going to be an opening for him anytime soon in Milwaukee, but if he can figure it out, he could also be trade bait. I could see them moving him in a deal this summer if he can turn it around. But yeah, you're right. If he, if we're, you know, end of May and he's hitting like two thirty with 30% strikeout rate, then yeah, he's, he's going to fall. Luis Ortiz, number five. And you say here that you know, he has future number three starter potential and that maybe he should be 
priced up more in, in dynasty leagues. Why do you like Luis Ortiz so much? Aside from the fact that he's on your team. I don't really, I don't know. I mean, I haven't ranked 150, so I don't, I don't think I love him. Uh, he's just, you know, he's got the body to eat innings. He's, he's kind of a fat guy, uh, which I, you know, I'm always, I'm always a big fan of fat baseball players. Uh, I think I actually like fat pitchers more than fat hitters even. So, yeah. you know, he's got that going for him. Uh, I don't know. He's just so, he's so hard to value because pretty much everyone, everyone treats him like he's a, or every, you know, everyone that ranks prospects kind of decides at the end of the day that he's, he's got the potential to be a number three starter, but there's really not a ton of demand for him in dynasty leagues right now. I, I mean, we took Ian Khan and I took him in the Roadwire dynasty invitational just because he was the best pitching prospect available by a mile on my board. And I was just, I was kind of like, well, I mean, he's still there. I guess we might as well just take him. And if he, if he sucks, we'll cut him. But at this point it's like, why not? Uh, you know, he's going to go to triple, triple a Colorado Springs as well. So again, don't be surprised if the numbers aren't all that pretty, but, uh, he's got pretty good command. He's got, he's got a, a starter's repertoire. So, uh, you know, I think there's a decent chance that at, at worst, he's like a number four starter. Lucas Ursig, number six in the system, had a bit of a disappointing year. Do you know kind of what went wrong with him uh, in uh, 2017? You know, he he kind of had – I think he had a really slow start, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, that whole team – I mean, the Florida State League is a, it's a tough place to hit. That that whole high-A squad, everyone underperformed. Isan Diaz, Corey Ray, uh, Trent Grisham – Urseg was was among those guys. Uh, it might just be, you know, it's a big step to go from the Midwest League to the Florida State League. I could see him being a, you know, if I had to pick like a bounce back guy, it would probably either be Urseg or Grisham in this system. I think I think one of those guys probably has a, a pretty decent bounce back here at Double A. This is a heck of a system. Kind of uh, an embarrassment of riches as I scroll down. We're not going to get through all these guys, but. Next up, Brandon Woodruff. I was impressed with a few of his starts last year. Probably headed back to AAA to start the season, but how many big league starts do you see this year from Brandon Woodruff? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of factors there. Obviously, if they go out and get a guy like Chris Archer or sign a Hugh Darvish or Jake Arrieta, that's that's another guy in his way. Uh, I kind of see him being the guy that gets the chance when Giovanni Gallardo inevitably becomes unstartable and uh isn't that already have we already reached that point well they I thought we did but they signed him so I think he's gonna get some starts and Junior Guerra maybe gets a another spin before Woodruff gets a gets a shot but I'd probably take the over on like 13 or 14 starts I don't I don't think I would take the over on 20 though Interesting. Brett Phillips, a guy that's really kind of no, I wouldn't say been phased out, but he's, you know, blocked a lot more so now after the recent moves the Brewers have made. Is he another guy that you kind of feel like eventually he might more than likely will get moved? I don't I just don't think there's a market for him and I think that he's a useful enough big league piece that you don't want to you don't want to trade him for like sixty cents on the dollar because to me he's kind of like the perfect fourth outfielder and I still think there's a Domingo Santana trade coming. I think that the smart thing to do with a guy like Keon Broxson is just go into the year not not expecting anything and just take what you get. But with Phillips, you're getting a guy that is potentially a plus defender at all three outfield spots. He can contribute a little bit with his legs. He's got some pop. I don't think I think he's a couple years away from posting a usable batting average, but uh, you know he kind of does all the the little things that you want in a fourth outfielder. Interesting. So, anybody else you want to talk about in this Brewers system before we move on to the Pirates? Uh, I'll just say that Freddie Peralta is one of the more fascinating prospects in all of baseball to me, just because I think there's I, I think there's a slight chance that he might be the next great sub six foot starting pitcher 
kind of following in the Tim Lincecum, Marcus Stroman type of genre, I guess. I think that he he just really makes the at bat uncomfortable. It, his uh, delivery and, and arm action is just so funky that it allows his fastball and his slider to really play up. He's kind of a two pitch pitcher right now, but if he were to find a way to to uh, work with a you know just like an average changeup, I mean it it wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up really just being the the big time sleeper of this system and maybe the big sleeper in all of you know pitching prospects. But it's hard to look at him and also not just think this guy belongs. In a, in a high leverage relief role, so I'm, I'm fascinated by Freddie Peralta. Really, really hard to predict how how his professional career unfolds. So with Pittsburgh, we got Austin Meadows leading the pack still, which I think is interesting because you know on MLB Pipeline and other sites have noticed how high Mitch Keller is ranked by a lot of outlets. Why are you a little bit lower on Mitch Keller? Would it give us some words of caution, maybe? Uh. He doesn't, I mean, his two best qualities, well, maybe his three best qualities are his fastball. It's a, it's a great fastball. It's a, it's a heavy mid-90s pitch that he can locate. Uh, he's also got great command, sp- specifically with the fastball, uh, and he's got good size. He's got, you know, really nice starter's frame, uh, but he doesn't, I mean, his curveball is pretty solid. His changeups way behind as a kind of a distant third pitch. Those guys can have trouble, especially in their first, you know, 15, 20 big league starts. So uh, I don't think he's, you know, he's getting ranked some places like he's a, people are like betting on him being a frontline starter. I, I just don't really see that. I think I'd bet on him being a number three if he really improves the changeup and maybe improves the curveball slightly. Maybe he's a bit more than that, but I just think people are getting a little carried away on his upside. To me, he's more kind of in that, that mid-rotation close to the major pack. And getting back to Meadows quickly, he's a guy that we talked about a fair amount while recapping the RDI draft, but anything else you want to add here? 68th overall. No, I mean, I, uh, he's in the, of the guys I have in the top 100, uh, you know, I'm out there on a limb on some guys. Like, I'm I'm way lower on Francisco Mejia than most people are. Uh, but Meadows is a guy that I think I'm kind of in line with where a lot of people are. But he could still either make me look really foolish. Uh, I mean, he could go out. If he stays healthy, he has the tools to make this ranking look way too low, especially now that McCutcheon's gone. I just think that the the hamstring issues, the approach the new approach that's kind of seemed to have sapped his power a little bit or are, are worrisome enough that he's outside the top 50 Cole Tucker number three in the pirate system 72 overall love the approach and you say here he has some sneaky power as well what is the you know in his peak years in terms of home run output what are we looking at so he's he's like 6'3 185 and Jeez. you can just you can kind of see that if he were to just fill out a bit more, I mean, there might be 20-plus homer pop there. He hasn't tapped into it at all. But I think that yeah, his numbers are pretty misleading right now. I mean, this is a guy that's really – he's got good stolen base acumen. Like, he, he gets good jumps. He gets good reads. But it's not even plus speed, really. It's, it's like above average speed. So while he stole 30-plus bases this past year, I think it's going to be more kind of in the 15 to 20 range initially in his big league career. And if everything works out, I think the power eventually actually passes the speed. So that's, you know, he's kind of a, an interesting guy in that, that sense. And he's definitely leaped Kevin Newman as their shortstop of the future. Shane Baz, number four. And I think it's interesting here that while you note that there is a, a quite a bit of risk and, and downside with him. He could end up being one of the bigger steals of Dynasty League drafts this year. Why is that? He's just got the arsenal that, that you want. I mean, it's uh, he's definitely not on the level of a guy like Forrest Whitley from last year. I mean, I have Baz ranked like 120. I think I had Whitley ranked like 60 uh, before his first full season. So it's they're not really close in that in that regard but it's it's the same sort of 
you're excited for the same reasons because it's a it's a power fastball mid 90s monster pitch and then he's got a curveball and a slider that are both have plus potential so i mean i i always get excited by guys that have the slider and the curveball and they're both pretty good pitches at this age that's that's usually a pretty good sign uh you know change up's kind of more of a feel pitch so you can you can learn that as you're you know get 20 21 years old you can that you can still develop a changeup at that age but being able to spin two breaking balls as, as an 18 year old is, is pretty impressive he's got good size uh i don't love pirates pitching prospects i don't really like the way they develop pitching prospects so i, I wish he was in a different system but uh yeah i mean after guys like you know you have the big two in, in gore and green on the prep side but baz i think is is the third best uh prep pitcher from that class Colin Moran, recent acquisition in the Garrett Cole trade, number five, 125 overall. And I was talking with Derek Van Riper on the XM show, and I really kind of like him as a single-season you know, NFBC target right now, ADP outside of the top 500. Some changes with that swing, kind of retooled it a bit, found a bit of extra pop. You do note here, though, that David Freeze's existence, just gross existence, <laughs> Um, does complicate things, but I guess I'm kind of buying or well, taking this team at their word that they're looking to retool and actually compete this year. Hopefully they don't <laughs> keep Colin Moran down and, you know, just continue to play freeze in the fi- uh, final year of his deal. But am I too optimistic over under for, for Moran's plate appearances this year? Uh, no, I, I think the smart money is probably on – Moran playing against righties and Freeze playing against lefties, uh, which to me, I'm not that excited about him. If that's the case, just because I don't think he's going to do enough in terms of power to be all that useful in shallow. I mean, you're in in a draft and hold. That's fine because I mean you're you're definitely going to be drafting guys like this. But you know, for a guy that doesn't have plus power you kind of want every day at bats just so you can get the maximum. I mean, a guy like Kyle Schwarber can be super valuable sitting against lefties because he can still hit like 40 home runs in a full season against just righties. But a guy like Moran, he needs, you know, 150 starts to get, get to 25 homers. So that's, that's kind of my hesitation there. But I think in 2019 when he's playing every day, I mean, the, he's a guy that could hit for a, a pretty high batting average. So I, I don't mind him long-term. I'm probably not going to end up with him in, single season leagues i think you know that adp reference is in large part due to drafts before that trade where he didn't really have anywhere to play in houston so i think now you're probably gonna have to take him in the 300 somewhere another guy with middling power also at third base cabrian hayes even less so than, than colin moran in terms of power eight homers in 231 games as you note here i mean that's just not gonna play even if the power does tick up against big league pitching with the new baseball Still probably not enough for me to feel confident about him profiling as an everyday third baseman, but is there anywhere else he can play? Well, I think I think the you know, if you own Hayes or you wanna take Hayes, you're you're sort of betting on the power eventually coming. I mean he's he's twenty one, he's got good bloodlines, uh he's got good size. I think that you know, you, you should be able to try to unlock a bit more power there if you're the Pirates, uh, just kind of get a bit more leverage there. He's got plus speed for a third baseman, which is really exciting. He's got the potential for a plus hit tool. He's got amazing defensive chops, so you know he's going to stick at third base uh, on that side of the ball. So it's it's really just a bet on whether the power comes. If the power doesn't come, he's not really going to be all that useful anywhere. If the power does come, he's got a, a ton of upside. So you listed 27 players in the Pirates system, which I believe was more than, yeah, it was more than anybody else. Even more than Milwaukee, you had 26, but we're running a little low on time. Anybody else, though, quickly, do you want to talk about in that system? Sure. I mean, there's there's a decent amount of lower-level lottery ticket types in this system. Uh, people have probably heard me talk about, you know, Lolo Sanchez, Mason Martin are the next two guys. Martin's kind of all power. Sanchez is is more of a speed guy. Uh, Shirton Apostol, though, is maybe the the super tooled up 
lottery ticket that you want to maybe throw a dart at in deeper leagues. He's probably going to get assigned to the Gulf Coast League. Uh, will be 19 years old, but he's got a chance to have really, really big uh, raw power at third base. So uh, that that's a name to kind of file away, uh, maybe even just for watch list in case he really starts raking this summer. So in the Cardinals system, Alex Reyes, I really don't think at this point as much that needs to be said. Rehabbing from Tommy John, hopefully we'll see him in May out of the bullpen and then future as a starter, obviously. Jack Flaherty, number two. Man, I remember us talking about Flaherty last year, and I just didn't see the upside with the Ks, you know. The K rates have been kind of middling, but you have them pretty high, 89 on your top 400. What do you like so much about Jack Flaherty? Uh, you know, his velo ticked up last year. I mean, there was a reason we weren't that high on the upside, and the stuff just got better, which is great. Uh, happy to be wrong about stuff like that. Um so now it's more kind of like 93, 94. He'll flash a, a plus slider. So there's, there is some upside here, and he's really close to the majors. He probably opens the year back at AAA just because they have a good amount of depth. But, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he just really outpitched a guy like Miles Mikolas in, in spring training and, and earned a spot or someone gets hurt and he earns a spot. I think he's going to spend the bulk of the year in the majors, which is, which is a big part of the reason why he's in the top 100. I know you hate questions like this because you're always relieved when guys graduate from prospect status. <laughs> but if Luke Weaver were still prospect eligible, would he be ahead of both Flaherty and Reyes? Oh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be ahead of Reyes. Um, man, where would he be? He'd be probably around. He'd probably be around like forty or fifty. Um, he'd be well. It'd be it'd be tough to it'd be tough to rank him like him and guys like Brent Honeywell and Luis Gohara. Um, you know, he'd be kind of in that range. I I'm probably I know you're you're a huge Weaver fan. I'm I'm a little slower to buy in on him. I just I I kind of want to see what it looks like. Uh, you know, full year in the in the rotation because I just I think his pitch mix is maybe a little light right now. I, I'm, I'm kind of more of a believer in guys like Luis Castillo. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other young pitchers that debuted last year. I know you're high on, higher on Barrios. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, to me, Castillo and Barrios are just a, a legit full notch higher than Weaver to me. So, yeah, he wouldn't be a top 25 guy probably would be kind of in that 30 to 50 range, I think, if he was prospect eligible. Interesting. Yeah, I, Brios was the clear head of that pack for me, and I was got got him in RDI. Then the toughest decision I had in that whole draft was probably Weaver versus Luis Castillo, and you know how much I love the Reds. Did you, did you take Weaver just because you were trying to fight your inklings as a homer? Partially. I know I have that bias, and that's one of my biggest weaknesses, so I was – in a sense, trying to combat that. But I also, you know, yeah, Weaver's still working on the third pitch. But the changeup is pretty net, you know. It's okay. I think it's pretty damn good. Um, the changeup, changeup's change a monster. Really good, yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the third so one He, he kind of has a cutter, right? Yeah. He added the cutter. Exactly yeah. But I th- thought it looked okay in the few times he did flash it. Uh, hopefully we'll get a, a longer look at that in spring training. The biggest thing, though, for me, well, things – better control and better home park and team context because oh. uh, you know the, the ballpark in Cincinnati is just bad and Castillo ended up with what two three wins and 89 innings 90 innings uh just tough to come well, by with with that team and I love the team context just not even worrying about like wins and losses I just love that he's I mean I, I know Adam Wainwright's taking him under his wing and like you get to work with Yadi Molina I mean there's there's a lot of reasons to be excited about a Cardinals pitching prospect relative to some other places and I do just think that you know the control gives him a pretty nice floor but moving on here you have three outfielders that are all kind of bunched up all roughly the same age Oscar Mercado Harrison Bader Tyler O'Neill Tyler O'Neill is the guy I've, I've seen on a lot of top 100s, but outside of your top 200, why are you a little bit lower on O'Neal? I just don't. I don't like that skill set at all. Uh, it's but dude, he's a, his dad was a 
bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. Um, he, you know, he, it's just so clear to me that 2016 was the outlier for him and that I think you got to kind of expect like a 230 average with 25 to 30 homers. I, I'm just, I can't get excited. He's defensively, he's worse than Bader. He's worse than Mercado. He's probably worse than Jose Adolis Garcia, who's right behind him. I mean, all four of those guys are pretty much ready for AAA and you know Bader's I think the fourth outfielder he Bader kind of is is your prototypical fourth outfielder in this system uh O'Neal I just I don't like if you're going to be a low average guy you better walk a ton and you better have elite power and I don't think he has you know he might have 70 raw but I don't think he has 70 game power and he he doesn't walk as much as he needs to I think for that to be playable especially in today's climate and with the Cardinals uh, big three in their their starting outfield. So I just to me he's just kind of a a real life sort of depth piece. I mean he was traded straight up for Marco Gonzalez, who's like a six starter if ever there was one. So I, I just I'm not I'm not in. Yeah, that's a good point. Marco Gonzalez like after Tommy John and like just not faring well. Uh, it was pretty much given away by Seattle. Not that Seattle's a smart organization. <laughs> yeah, just because Seattle trades a guy away for a, a small package doesn't mean that he's terrible. I mean, look at Luis Gohara, but uh, oh, God. I mean, it's oh God, yeah. The, the Cardinals, it's they go basically seven deep in the outfield with guys that are going to be big league ready by like July or August, and. I have Tyler O'Neill ranked ahead of Adolis Garcia just because I, you know, the, his power is probably better than any of Garcia's tools. But just from a big league standpoint, I think O'Neill's probably the the least playable of the seven. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, James, I've kept you here past uh, your departure time. Want to uh, thank you, but anything else you want to add quickly before we sign off? No, I mean, I just I can't. I can't help myself sometimes on these lists. Like I, I probably should cut them all off, you know, five or six guys sooner than I do. And I just, I feel bad about leaving certain guys off and I'm already getting into trouble working on the NL West one and going over 30 players in the Padres system. And I somehow went over 10 players in the giant system, which I hate myself for, but how I, it's bad. Uh, wow. definitely well, we appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, more it's, the merrier. Yeah. After these capsules. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's, you can cut, I mean, if you're reading these and you're in just like a normal league, like a RDI style league, you probably don't have to go all the way down these lists, but I tried to try to include everyone that could somehow emerge and be, be useful down the road. Real quick, getting back to the Mariners, are they the dumbest org now? I feel like there's got to be a dumber organization. I can't think of one. Reds, maybe? Um, Mets. Maybe. Oh, Mets. Ooh, yeah, Mets. Ooh. Mets are pretty dumb. Um, I just feel like the Mariners have started to well separate a bit. If I will say this. If the Royals legitimately block Raul Mondesi with Alcides Escobar, then they'll they'll put their hat in the ring. I'm not sure if that's... I'm not sure if I'm fully buying Dayton Moore just because I can't imagine he's he's actually that dumb. But, uh, yeah, if, if they want to block the – like, if I'm looking at that entire Royals organization, Mondesi is just by far the most interesting player from a real-life and fantasy standpoint, and they're thinking about blocking him with the guy who is one of the worst three hitters in the big leagues over the last couple of years. So I that would that would put them in the mix. I think right now it's probably the Mets, though. I think Tigers probably in that mix. I mean, they're, well, they're the, owner. The Tigers of, are trying to make up for all the stupid yeah. things they did in the past. The the Mariners, I only say they're dumb just because they refuse to rebuild when I think yeah. it's kind of clear that they should. But and they gave up a legit reliever for Ryan Healy. So sometimes it's not the GM's fault. Like if if ownership yeah, just all, tells him that's you need to finish the most or you need to field the most competitive team you can, then maybe that's what Depoto's doing. So. Hard to yeah, say. for sure. Well, again, we appreciate the inside, James. We'll be back with you next week.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.